Thank you. My mother reminded me how old I was this morning. $29.99 plus shipping and handling. A lot of shipping and handling, but anyway. Um, so I brought something I want to show you today, something I found when I was walking at work yesterday. Um, it's really big. So how big do you think it might be? Exactly. Smaller than a bread basket. Smaller than this basket, anyway. I don't know if anybody remembered that. We used to play the game when we had to guess. And so we say, well, is it bigger than a bread box? Yeah? Who knows what a bread box is anymore, right? <laughs> Some of us do. Um, so how big would something have to be for you to say it's really big? Can you show me? Is it like this big, this big, this big? How big? Okay, bigger than my basket? Ah, uh, by comparison. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to show you this thing that I found. Uh, you might not think it's so big. It's this. Can you see that? No, it's not a spider. It's actually not a tick. It's not alive. It's not a seed, but it does look a little bit like a seed. It is a pebble. Now, you may not think it's very big, but let me tell you where I found it. In my shoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In my shoe, it felt like it was this big. It hurt. I was walking, and you know how when you walk sometimes, it kind of gets in your shoe? And I'm walking, and I was walking with somebody, and they were kind of like, I'm like, <laughs> it hurts. Um, so when I stopped and took it out, I said, oh, yeah. And that reminds me of things that happen in our lives. You know, we, we have little things, and they, they, they hurt, and they, they sting, and they, they are uncomfortable. But, oh, it's just a little thing. But, you know, if you let some of those little things go too long, they get really big. If I had kept that stone in my shoe and kept going, I would have had a really sore foot that might have actually gotten broken skin and it might have gotten, you can go down that road. But it also made me think about today's scripture and where Jesus says, come to me all you are weary and heavy burdened. Sometimes we think our, our burdens are too little for God to care about. But, you know, the good news is that no matter how small our problem is, how small our concern is, how small our pain is, he cares. Because he loves us so much that he wants us to be perfect with him. And he doesn't want us to struggle with little stones in our shoes, little problems in our lives, little worries, little cares, or the big ones. He just wants us to give them all to him because he's going to work it all out according to his plan. So this week, when you find a stone in your shoe, remember to give whatever it is to God because he's going to take care of you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that simple things can remind us that no matter how big or small our problems are, you can take care of it all. You tell us to come to you for rest, for relief, and so often we try to handle things on our own and we just make it worse.
So we ask that you help us to trust you with the little things and the big things, because we know you are faithful, and you love us, and you want only the best for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like every time I start a sermon these days, I talk about the title for some reason this week, because this title, Rest Well, I chose two months ago. Um, also this passage, and um, it's hitting kind of different <laughs> today, partly because in the Bible we find out that one description of what it is like for those who follow Jesus after they die from this life is rest, Sabbath rest. Um, that is an analogy for what our reward is after we have um, followed Jesus. And so we can be confident that Kathleen Bond is enjoying that reward right now. The rest that the Bible talks about is not just boredom and being lazy and lying around, but it is fulfilling and peaceful and no more suffering or pain or crying. And so this is wonderful to to contemplate and know that this is what she's enjoying. Um, but the reason that Kathleen is enjoying this kind of rest is not because of how exceptional she was. She was exceptional. I think if you know her at all, if you knew her at all, you would say she was an exceptional human being. She was a person who was full of joy, somehow managed to be honest about the hard things that she went through, but still had the joy of the Lord. She loved Jesus. She loved everybody else. Um, she loved to sing. We have a little candle there. She Recently, this year, she's been sharing her joy more and more publicly. So she was exceptional, but that's not why she is enjoying the rest that the Bible talks about. The reason is because she came to Jesus in whom she found rest ahead of time. And this is the passage that we're looking at today. So before um, the events of this week, actually last Sunday, Paul and I were talking and we were talking about some of the concerns in our church body, um, including how sick Kathleen was, but there are some other ones and there are some concerns in the, ministry, the other ministry that I do, the pilgrimage, and some stuff that we were thinking about with our family, and we were kind of processing all this stuff, and Paul said, and his yoke is supposed to be easy? <laughs> Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, as Barb read for us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are pretty famous verses. How many people here have heard them before today? Right. And they are often used to um, share comfort with each other, and they are really comforting. But then sometimes, if you're like me, a little bit of a cynic, or apparently like Paul, um, you think about it. And you think about, 
your experience, you know, we're following Jesus, we're followers of Jesus. Sometimes following Jesus doesn't feel very restful, does it? Also, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But if you think about the story of Jesus, what is the one burden that you ever see him carrying? A cross. Right. And since we've been looking at the whole book of Matthew, we know that Jesus has, by this point in his ministry, introduced the idea of the cross. He introduced it when he was sending the 12 disciples on their mission trip. They're back by now. We don't know when they got back in the last couple of verses. Matthew doesn't tell us that. But um, when he sent them out, he said, I want you to go and do teach what I've been teaching and heal like I've been healing. And by the way, you're going to face some opposition and you have to lose your life if you want to find it. And you have to take up your cross and follow me. So, he's already introduced that, and now he's talking about burdens again. And supposedly, his burden is light. This is something to remember. You probably don't remember this, because we talked about, we actually talked about Sabbath, and we talked about this passage um, at the beginning of 2020, before COVID happened. And I think COVID wiped everything before that from our brains. Um, <laughs> but... We said that in Jesus' time period, in Jesus' culture, the idea of a yoke meant, I mean, it was a literal yoke. People used yokes to carry things, or oxen used yokes to plow. But a yoke was a uh, symbol for how people manage life. And so in the Jewish culture, people were used to following rabbis around, and the rabbi's teaching was the yoke. And so Jesus is saying, my yoke is lighter than any other yoke you could pick up. But the fact is, everybody's got a yoke. Everybody's carrying something. Everybody has a way that they manage life. Everyone has an idea about how to, um, how to function in this world that we live in. And in Matthew, there are really only two options. You can take the yoke of the kingdom, or you can take the yoke of empire. Empire is the shorthand, I keep repeating this because... There could be people here that haven't heard this yet. Um, empire is the shorthand term we're using for our individual sin nature and the sin that we experience in society. And sometimes it comes out in politics, but sometimes it comes out in our religious systems. Um, sometimes it comes out in our own selves. Basically, at the bottom, empire is the impulse that every human being has to try to be God instead of God or without God. So, in Matthew, it's that you take the kingdom yoke or you take the empire yoke, and it turns out the yoke of the kingdom is a cross. But Jesus is saying the cross is lighter than the burden or the burdens of empire. So, we, so he says this, he says, take my yoke on you, I will give you rest, and then immediately we have chapter breaks and headings and stuff that were not in the gospel as Matthew originally wrote it. And so immediately after Jesus says this, we see the disciples and they're in a grain field on the Sabbath. I've read this story a million times. 
I will tell you, it was not until I watched this episode of The Chosen that it occurred to me that the disciples picking grain on the Sabbath didn't mean they were just snacking. It was there, and they just saw it, and they were snacking. That's what we do, because we are in a wealthy country, and we can snack. But The Chosen portrays it. The Chosen is a TV series about the life of Jesus and his disciples. And The Chosen portrays it. They're hungry. They're traveling together. Everybody's given up their jobs. They don't have a source of income, and they've run out of food. And they're traveling around, and they're going through a grain field, and they are hungry. They're not just snacking. And they're doing something that is allowed in the Old Testament called gleaning. Poor people were allowed to go into other people's fields and take the leavings. Um, In this case, they're probably actually picking the grains off the plants, but we don't have to parse things too, too closely here. But they're doing something that's allowed, basically, but they're doing it on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, as we know, was part of, it's actually in the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It is the law of God that says, one day in seven, named the Sabbath for the Jewish people, you rest. You don't do any work, anything that looks like rest, or, or that, anything that looks like work, you just rest. And so the disciples are hungry, and they are basically trying to keep body and soul together by eating. And the Pharisees catch them, and they say, look, your disciples are doing something that's not allowed on the Sabbath. They are making an argument that God's law is God's law. And there is no way, no circumstance, no possible option for doing anything other than what the law says. Their idea of God's law is that it is a checklist, and it is your duty to follow it exactly. You check off the boxes. There are no exceptions, and there's you, you obey without question. Anybody feel like this sometimes in your walk with Christ or in your faith or your church? All, I just have to. I just have this checklist, and I just have to do all of these things. This is what the Pharisees were promoting, and this is frankly what a lot of church leaders promote. And I hope I don't do that, but it's a it's a really easy pattern to fall into because it's about control. The Pharisees were controlling people by doing this. They took the law of the Sabbath, that was God's law, and they added to it so that. Absolutely nothing was allowed on the Sabbath. They made it extra hard. And they did it by paying lip service to God. They say, this is, this is God's law. But they used it to keep control for themselves. God's law is God's law, they're saying. It's the law. Jesus' argument is this. Not God's law is the law. God's law is God's. And what is God like? Well, Matthew has just told us by what Jesus just told us. When we back up, back into um, 
chapter 11 again, in verse 27, Jesus says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He says it in a different way in the Gospel of John. He says, If you see me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father. So everything that Jesus is like is what the Father is like. And he's choosing, as he says in this, in this passage, he's choosing to reveal the Father to the people around him, his disciples. And that is what he's doing in the rest of this passage. So in verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Pharisees had placed a heavy yoke no one could bear, perfect observance of the law of God, on the backs of people, but also on themselves. They were bearing the yoke of having to control everybody. And they were not gentle, and they were not humble in heart, which is what Jesus says God is like, because he is that way. The Pharisees and the Romans who were in charge at this time, and many other people then and now, believed the lie of empire, which started with the serpent in the Garden of Eden, you will be like God if you do things your way. You will be like God without God. That is the original burden, the original yoke of the human race. Trying to be God without God. Sabbath is the sign of who God is. Sabbath is a super significant commandment because the whole idea of God resting on the seventh day um, after cre at the end of creation, is he was saying, I made everything. I, it is exactly how I want it. I am the king. And the reason he commands his people to obey or observe Sabbath is because when we step back, when we don't work to earn our living, when we don't make other people work, when we take a break, we're saying... God, you're God. I trust you to take care of my life. There's all this stuff that needs to get done. I have to, it has to get done, but I am letting you be in control. I'm trusting that it's going to get done. I just don't have to do it today. And because the Sabbath is the sign of who God is, it means whoever is Lord of the Sabbath is the one who defines how we value God and how we value people. When God gives this command, he gives it with explanation in two main places in the Old Testament. The first is in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 10, in the Ten Commandments. And in that, it emphasizes, you do this because God did this, and this is the time set aside to worship God and honor God and value God. But in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15, the emphasis is slightly different, or it's added to. God says, you're going to keep the Sabbath to honor and value and respect each other. Because you were slaves in Egypt, and you aren't slaves anymore. 
Sabbath reminds us that we were slaves to empire one time, but we're not anymore, and no one gets to be our slave either. Sabbath gives everybody a rest, and by doing that, it affirms the value of God and it affirms the value of people. True Sabbath expresses the mercy of God. True Sabbath is a light yoke. It is a reminder, you're not God. Takes all the pressure off. You're not God. But the Pharisees are trying to be God. And so they have made this gift of God, this Sabbath, this opportunity for a break, into a curse. They would rather the disciples go hungry, or in the next story, they would rather a disabled man remain disabled when he doesn't have to, when the opportunity for healing is right there. They would rather kill Jesus, which is what it says at the end of this passage, just so they could stay in control. They would rather be God even though it's the heaviest burden anybody could possibly bear, and they're putting burdens on other people that are completely unnecessary, unjust, and abusive, then let God be God. So, by their insistence that everybody observe Sabbath in this really kind of slavish way, they've actually turned Sabbath completely upside down, made it the opposite of what it is supposed to be and have and are essentially blaspheming. God's law is God's and Jesus is God. So Jesus' response to the Pharisees in this chapter and also every time they challenge him about the Sabbath is to assert that he, not they, is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is super important to him. So he gives first when they are saying the disciples are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath, he tells them a story. He doesn't go back to the law at first. He tells them a story, which is also in the Old Testament, about King David and his men. We don't need to get into the details of the story, but it, but the short version is David and his men get to eat some bread that's holy that only the priests were supposed to eat. And they are not condemned or judged for it. This is a picture of how God's law was never intended to enslave or oppress people. But here's the other thing. Remember, King David is kind of significant to the Jewish people, right? He And God, yes. He is the king in the line of whom the Messiah is supposed to come. So Jesus, by bringing up this story, is associating himself with David, because he is the Messiah, who's in the line of David. But he's also saying, hey, that king, your special king, that guy... His men also got to eat the bread. He's not flat out saying this, but what he's implying is, I am the king in that line, and my men get to eat when they're hungry. Even if it appears to go against the rules. Then he brings it into the, into the Pharisees' kind of wheelhouse. He, goes to the Torah, he goes to the law, and he brings up the idea of the priests. Priests work in the temple on the Sabbath, you guys. They are actually breaking the law. It says that. They're breaking, the, they're breaking God's law, but they are held innocent. Jesus is now challenging their own team. 
He's challenging their assumptions about the worth of human beings, too. They have this sort of hierarchical idea. The priests are up here, and, you know, King David's up here, and, um, and we, maybe there some exceptions can be made for us, but not for you normal people. Sabbath equalizes everybody. Everybody has to rest. doesn't matter how much money you make, because you're not making any that day. It doesn't matter what your role in society is, because you're resting. Everybody's equal. It is a mercy. David wasn't innocent because he was king. The priests aren't innocent because they're priests. They're all innocent because Sabbath is mercy. And also, Jesus points out, he's greater than the temple. Something greater than the temple is here, he says. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. He's actually quoted this exact same thing before when he healed the paralyzed man, and first he forgave him, and they said, nobody can forgive sins except God. It's basically, again, saying, he's God. Both forgiveness and Sabbath are about God being God. When we forgive, we don't take vengeance. When we practice Sabbath, we are letting God take care of the outcome. In both cases, like the priests, Jesus' disciples are innocent, not because of who they are, but because of mercy. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Rome's not Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees aren't Lord of the Sabbath. Religion in general is not Lord of the Sabbath. God's law isn't even Lord of the Sabbath. God, Jesus Christ, is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees don't want their lordship challenged. But they would never see it that way. They think they're upholding the law of God. They think Jesus is blaspheming here. But really, it's them. The Sabbath is the crossroads in the Gospel of Matthew. The Sabbath is actually the crossroads in the Bible. It connects the two types of commandments. If you've studied the Ten Commandments at all, you know the first four, I think, are about how humans relate to God. You don't have idols. You don't um, take God's name in vain. You don't worship falsely. And then after that, there's all the ways of how you are around people. You don't murder. You don't... Um, have an affair, you don't steal, all of those things. The Sabbath is in the middle. Well, Sabbath hinges those two. Sabbath is about how we treat God and people. Sabbath is actually the fulfillment of what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments. Love God with all you, everything that you are, and love people as you love yourself. This is what Sabbath is. It's a, it's a hinge, but it's also a cross. It is a sign that people belong to God. He is our king. It's also the sign that people are free from the slavery of empire because God is our king. And it's also the turning point in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is the only one who shares Jesus' sayings about rest, the ones that he says at the end of chapter 11, that Jesus is the source of rest. He immediately follows it with Jesus claiming lordship over the Sabbath. This conflict over the nature of Sabbath is what made the Pharisees decide to kill Jesus. It wasn't his healing people. It wasn't his even. It wasn't even his forgiving people. 
It was the fact that he said he was Lord of the Sabbath. And the reason it's what made them want to kill him is because at its heart, Sabbath is about who gets to be God. One way or another, everyone's going to bear a yoke. Everyone is going to carry a cross. We're all going to carry a cross. Whether we follow Jesus or not. But we'll either carry it with God, letting God be God, or we'll carry it on our own, trying to be God on our own terms. Being God is a burden only God can carry. When ordinary humans, like the Pharisees, but also like us, listen to the lie that we can be like God without God, we become weighed down with a burden that was never intended for us. And so some of us try to carry it by being good, all on our own. We try to earn our godness. We try to earn our way into heaven. We try to check off all the boxes. We try to follow all the rules. We try to be kind out of our own strengths. We try to we just try and try and try, and it's exhausting, and we feel burdened. Some people try to make their own burden lighter by loading up the backs of everybody else, as if that's going to somehow lighten their own load, but it doesn't. It actually makes it worse. The burden of God is a cross. Only God can carry the weight of the law and the weight of our breaking it over and over again. When he says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. It's because he is mercy and he forgave us and made us innocent. Jesus took the unbearable burden of the law onto himself and converted it into mercy, a light yoke and an easy burden. If we refuse to follow Jesus, we are stuck carrying life's burdens all by ourselves, and we will never rest. We won't rest now, and we also won't rest in eternity if we get to the end of our lives without following Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we take up our cross willingly. We're going to have to carry it anyway, but it becomes our choice because he carries it with us. And we are trying to be like him. We are not trying to be him. We are trying to be like him. We were always, as we've said a few times in the series, we were always supposed to be like God, but with God. Not on our terms, without him, but on his terms. Suffering does not go away in this life. I think those of us that met with Kathleen at all in the last few months, especially the last month, um, know that there was not a person on earth who deserved to suffer less, probably, besides Jesus. Um, and she suffered. Suffering came into this world because of humans like us trying to be God on our own terms. We don't get to skip out on that part, unfortunately. And as followers of Jesus, we don't go looking for it, but when it comes, which it will, he went ahead of us, and he goes with us. He carries 
our suffering, which is only temporary. It is only for this life. He bears our, he, he carries our suffering with us. He bears our sin for us. So that at the end, like God, we can rest and say it is very good. Matthew 12, 18 to 21, which we read in our responsive reading, wraps up this whole passage with another prophecy to confirm the message. This is from Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus carried the God-sized burden. And our hope is that through that cross of the Lord of the Sabbath, we will find rest. Let's pray. Lord, we know that following you involves action on our part. But somehow there is a way to follow you where we still receive your rest. We know that in this life, we don't get a free pass from suffering. But we know that when you are carrying the cross for us, we can bear up under it. And it's only temporary. We pray that you will give us the strength and the hope that we will stay close to you. That we will know you and live lives of joy and peace and rest. In Jesus' name.